Welcome to the Kindness Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Carly Riggs, and today we have Dr. Jenny Kimes with us. Jenny is fabulous. She's going to be on many, many times because she's so knowledgeable on all things Down syndrome. She is our psychologist that we have on staff. She does a presentation, an amazing presentation called DS101. She presents about all kinds of things, but today we are focusing on the DS diet. I have to say the the this disclaimer that she's not an actual dietitian or a nutritionist, that she has come up with this diet for her own child who has um, Down syndrome and an autism diagnosis as well. And so her daughter has done so well on the diet and her family, her, her typically developing children and sh- herself, her husband, they're all on this diet and they, they're doing so, so well that she started sharing it, just shouting it from the rooftops that this has changed their life and, um, and it's kind of gone from there. So we talk a lot about it, supplements, we talk about just everything, DS diet related. And we also get to learn more about Jenny and she's, she's amazing. So if you have any questions for her or for for us about it, um, feel free to reach out. All of our information is will be at the end of the episode and also in the will be in the show notes as well. And we're hoping to gather some recipes for you as well. So um, keep your eyes and e- eyes and ears peeled for some recipes that are Down syndrome diet friendly. We hope you enjoy Dr. Jenny Kimes. You're listening to the Kindness Warrior Podcast, a Down Syndrome of Louisville production, serving locally, sharing globally. So today we're so excited to have Dr. Jenny Kimes here with us. Um, Jenny, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Um, Jenny is an expert on many, many, many things. Uh, She's shaking her head at me, but it's very true. So many things, in fact, that we hope to have her on an episode every season (laughs) because uh, my list is very long of things that Jenny is an expert about and and that you, um, our listeners, are most eager to hear about. Um, So today we're going to focus mostly on the Down syndrome diet. But first, I want to learn more about you. Um, So... Tell us a little bit about your role here at DSL. Well, it seems to ebb and flow and change every few years, but um, right now I'm acting as the clinical director, um, which means I have a caseload of first steps babies that I see in the home. I also get to work with some of our amazing adults who are in ADA and and an outpatient basis. Um, I do some testing, um, and I'm available for the programming staff for any clinical consultation and still stay in touch with all my early ed families who have school issues that crop up or behavior concerns. Amazing. So testing, you mean what kind of testing? Well, some of it is psychological testing just to establish that our member has an intellectual disability. That's part of the waiver, uh, Medicaid waiver eligibility requirement. Mm -hmm. Um, Some is for autism rollouts. So if we have families who think there might be something else going on with their child and they just want... um, more detailed evaluation, uh, we can do that too. Wonderful. Um, so you've been here, how long have you been here? It'll be 16 years this <gasps> summer. Oh my goodness, yeah. 16 years, wow. Um, so 
let's go back. We're going to go back. Um, and we're, and I want to learn more about you. Um, I've known you, I've been here about seven years and I know all of the things that you do here, but that's about it. (laughs) So I'm really excited to get to know you a little bit more. So did you grow up here in Louisville? Um, I did not. Actually, I'm a military brat, so um, I traveled around a lot. I've lived overseas, and that was exciting. Of course, I was very young then. Um, But I spent probably the most time, aside from being here in Louisville, in Philadelphia. Uh, I went to undergraduate and got my master's degree uh, in in, uh, Philadelphia. Uh, Master's degree, what did you study? Oh, uh, well, my undergrad degrees are in psychology and early childhood elementary ed, so I have a teaching certificate for early childhood and elementary, um, and then decided, I love teaching, mm-hmm. but I decided I really wanted to learn more about how children tick mm-hmm. <laughs> and what um, affects them in the whole family system. So I went back and got a master's in counseling psychology. Oh, wow. And then realized, well, there's not really much you can do with a master's in counseling psychology. (laughs) So I was uh, young and um, unattached at the time, so I just kept on going to school, got my um, doctoral degree, and that's what brought me to Louisville, Kentucky. I went to Spalding and got my PsyD degree in uh, clinical psychology. Okay. And so that, that whole time you had not met your husband? Is that correct? I was almost finished with my um, doctoral degree when I met my husband. Okay. Yeah. So what do you think brought you to psychology? Well, I think really wanting to know more about children's behavior. Mm-hmm. My passion, of course, is children, but I, I work with you know all ages. Sure. Um, but when I was teaching, uh, in the classroom, I'd see two children maybe exhibiting the same behavior, but for very different reasons. Mm. So one would be more of an oppositional defiant type. One would be uh, more of a sensory processing type. Another would be um, situational. Family was going through divorce and not knowing how to address the behavior to really um, take into account all those different etiologies of the behavior. So I wanted to learn more and went into psychology. That's so interesting. Um, Okay, so then you met husband. Yes. Okay, and and that was here in in Louisville? In Louisville, Mm -hmm. yes. Actually moved in right next door to him. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And that's how you met? Married the boy next door, yes. That's how you met? Oh, my gosh, I love that. Yeah. Um, And then, so so at what, what time are we talking? What year? Oh, 1996, 97. Okay. Yeah. And then you get married. Mm-hmm. And when, okay, so then then your family, first comes love, first yes. comes, yeah. um, um, and so you start having kiddos, right? Right. So my first daughter um, happen to ha- happens to have a down a diagnosis of Down syndrome. Okay. So so I, that's, I was going to ask, um, you know, Tabby came along, but I didn't know if she was your first. So yes. she's your oldest. She's my okay. oldest. Okay. And so that's really what propelled me into this world. Um, I really had had no background in special ed, um, hadn't had a lot of training or experience even in my undergrad teaching uh, training. Mm-hmm. So I was almost finished with my graduate work and along comes Tabitha, mm-hmm. my pride and joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really catapulted me into this whole new world. Um, and even my dissertation is about Down syndrome and Down syndrome of Louisville. So oh, I kind wow. of embraced it and ran with it. Yes. Um, but the predecessor here at, at DSL, Gene um, Bryson, who was running the early ed program, mm-hmm. um, after I had completed my schooling and had done my internship, she retired. 
And Down Syndrome of Louisville had always been sort of our support system, and Tabby went through the early ed program here. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had moved away so I could do my internship, and I found out she was retiring. And Diana Merzweiler, our former executive director, called me and said, hey, would you be interested in applying for Jean's position? Because I had the teaching background. Uh-huh. Um, and that position primarily was working with young children. It didn't necessitate my psychology sure. uh, experience. But I thought this is a great fit to yeah. work to work with young children and mm-hmm. young children um, with Down syndrome, which I was living. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then also to focus on their neuronal development, really to get them in a great place cognitively for lifelong learning, mm-hmm. not just for early ed development. Yeah. So what was what was Down syndrome of Louisville at that time? Oh, that was my rock. I mean, it was very small. Mm-hmm. It, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Down syndrome of Louisville, when I came on board, we had four employees, mm-hmm. uh, four or five maybe, and um, we were filling in, we were growing rapidly and filling in programming uh, as the need arose, mm-hmm. but they were a staple in our lives for support systems. I, I will not to get too far off track, but we lived in eastern Kentucky while I was finishing my internship, and we didn't see anyone with a diagnosis of Down syndrome in the community. And I knew they were out there Mm -hmm. statistically. Um, We even went to a couple of parent support programs that the health department put on, and several times we were the only family that showed up. Oh, my gosh. So I knew, yeah, I I had days where I was crying, going, I need to go back to Louisville. I need Down (laughs) syndrome of Louisville. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, as my support system. So I was thrilled to be able to work here um, in a capacity that – Yes, and at the time, um, I've I I hear tales of of the days back then. Yeah. And um, did you meet in other people's homes at that time? At that time, we were still working at a field elementary. Okay. And so we had when Jean um, actually retired, we split our contractual relationship with JCPS, so we okay. could no longer use the school. Okay. So that's when we moved to Douglas Boulevard Christian Church, and we rented. A classroom space there okay and then we moved um over to the small yellow house i call it uh, on bardstown road okay. before we built this building oh my gosh so we were we were i was providing services through first steps in people's homes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i think uh, maybe i'm i'm referring to um someone might have told me about some potlucks maybe some family potlucks that were in different people's homes yes, maybe when, yeah and events when, and parties yeah and things. yeah that yeah. were in people's yeah. homes that's that's so great um okay so you get so you're hired here mm-hmm. um and you know now all all these years later um I want you to tell me like looking back what was it like it for you when you got Tabby's diagnosis yeah well and that was an interesting journey because Tabitha had started to show some symptoms and signs of autism before we even moved back to Louisville she was almost three and we had to enroll her in child care and she'd always been a very social communicative well-behaved child very compliant mm-hmm. go with the flow um and she started withdrawing and becoming, it, it seemed overwhelmed in her classroom, and she would hide in the corner and lash out, and she started to not follow directions anymore, and more sensory issues came up. So at that time, we attributed it to, you know, new move. Um, then baby sister came along, mm-hmm. and so in my work schedule, I had always been a part-time stay-at-home mom until then, so I was very swamped with finishing my internship and postdoc, and 
And so I attributed a lot of what she was going through to just situational factors, things mm-hmm. going on, mm-hmm. phase of life things. Um, we moved back to Louisville, and she, even after we got kind of settled in, her symptoms weren't getting better. She was getting worse, uh, showing some regression. Mm-hmm. And even then, I I felt like something else was going on. But we had other diagnoses like receptive expressive language disorder, sensory processing disorder, um, apraxia, verbal language apraxia. So I kind of thought it's all of these things going on. Well, when she was about seven or eight years old, I was also doing some kind of more intensive work with children I call them typically developing children with autism. Mm-hmm, so they mm-hmm. did not have Down syndrome. Okay. They just had a diagnosis of autism. Mm-hmm. And I really started noticing some similarities. i uh, thinking Tabitha is more like these children mm-hmm. than she is her peer group with Down syndrome. And knowing um, that when we went to potluck suppers and the events and social functions here at DSL, Tabitha was not acting like the other children with Down syndrome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so feeling, you know, very... Uh, different I think at that point like what's going on and here I am working in this field you know if I uh, should know you know what her needs were but really not knowing what was going on Um, at that time we knew the average age of diagnosis for children with Down syndrome with the secondary diagnosis of autism is about eight or nine Mm-hmm. And so I think I can see where that might be because you've sort of exhausted all other explanations sure, yeah, yeah. at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have her officially diagnosed. Since I'm a licensed psychologist, I've given her several screening tools. Sure. And she's scored off the charts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, she definitely fits the profile. Um, you know, but it would just be a matter of taking her to an outpatient psychologist sure, and yeah, have her officially absolutely, diagnosed. Absolutely. So, so if there, let's say that we've got some listeners who are thinking that, that oh this sounds like my child Mm -hmm. you know what you just were telling me all about what are what would the steps be well I'm a fan of the earlier the better Mm -hmm. Uh, and I'm not about labeling children too young or unnecessarily but some families to kind of a catalyst to get them to you know comply with the treatment protocol Mm -hmm. or to consider other interventions Mm -hmm. Um, need the diagnosis need the label sure and so I think the earlier the better and for some children that we've worked with we've seen some behaviors and symptoms manifesting but if we can kind of catch it early enough and thwart off needing that diagnosis later on we've been able to sort of steer the ship in a different direction absolutely Um, but I I think as a a parent to really look at all potential options Mm -hmm. don't be like me and stick your head in the sand (laughs) and say well maybe she'll grow it she just needs another year of maturity right um because it seems like it it is so helpful to just know mm -hmm. you you know like because then at least from from what I have have learned with some of our families it was like once they knew then it's like okay now yes we we know you know Ah, it makes sense. Yes, this makes sense. And yeah. Um, So let's um, let's dive into the DS diet because I know there's a lot, a lot of information. So. um, So tell me how it started. How how did your deep dive into this start? And this was really funny when I talk about it now because it was sort of this like covert operation (laughs) because there wasn't a lot of information 12, 13 years ago about this and everything was sort of written by professionals or uh, moms. like on the banned book list, you know, <laughs> right, like, right, like right. mainstream medical. Like, you know, like I heard hey, this. Yeah. <laughs> so we're all sort of doing things um, secretly. But really, when I was working with children 
with autism, some of their families were seeing these doctors. They were called Dan Doctors, Defeat Autism Now Doctors. And at the time, there weren't even any in Kentucky. So families were crossing state lines to get information from these doctors who felt like autism was more of a biological, a health-related issue versus a psychological disorder. Okay. And so the families were adopting some dietary interventions, gluten casein-free diet. Some of them were supplementing. And I was doing this really intensive ABA, Applied Behavior Analysis work, working with children. And we were seeing change, but it was very slow and very methodical and very um, challenging. But the families who were using the diet, I was seeing change at a much more rapid pace. So working on a skill that children were acquiring within days versus what previously took months. Wow. And I was fascinated by why this is so. And at the time, the parallel process is my daughter's manifesting more and more symptoms and we're having more and more challenges at home with her reactivity and uh, shutdown and sensory issues. And so I really just dove into the literature at that time about dietary interventions Mm. um, and was doing things for our daughter as well you know just following the lead of other parents what they were doing yeah absolutely and it wasn't until about 2014 when I read this life-changing book it's uh, David Perlmutter's grain brain book I think it was published in 2013 and I opened up the cover and started reading the, the first um, few pages and what he was describing as related to gluten specifically, I was like, wow, this 11 of the 13 things that he mentioned pertain to our members with Down syndrome. Wow. And so I thought, if diet can affect all of these things, you know, how much more beneficial could it be? Sure. You know, for, yeah. for our And that's called grain well. brain, you said? Grain brain. Grain brain. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's start from the beginning because um, I did an inquiry on our social media and said, what are your questions about Down syndrome? And a bunch of people said, or Down syndrome diet, what yeah. is the Down syndrome diet? And several people said, what is the Down syndrome diet? Right, right. So just what is basically, it? Let's start yes. from the beginning. Yeah. So basically it's adopting really a lifestyle. So a low processed foods, low refined sugar, low simple carbohydrate diet, high healthy fats, and then looking at the specific things that our members struggle with, like digestive issues and how we can eat to avoid those, minimize those, and possibly um, supplement if our members are deficient in something. Because we know that people with Down syndrome do have some nutritional deficiencies. Ironically, there's a lot of shared nutritional deficiencies with people with autism, which Mm -hmm. I hypothesize is why we also have such a high rate in our population. And how do we get the body in optimal operating order so that we can minimize some of the health-related issues and developmental issues and possibly even avoid major um, diagnostic and diagnostic and developmental issues like autism and possibly Alzheimer's down the road. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. So so if someone were to ask me what is the Down syndrome diet, I'd I'd say it's a lot it's it's a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> um so it's not necessarily specific like well, and we're going to go through it, but um it's less like eat this only eat this right, and more just like let's try our best to to right. 
avoid certain it, things and maybe supplement. Absolutely. It's a lot of removing what isn't good for all any of us, mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. Um, and then making sure that our children have um, all of the nutritional needs, get them back up to where they need to be. If you have to supplement, you have to supplement. Mm-hmm. If you can do that through food alone, that's fantastic. But we also know that our members can be picky eaters. Sure. Some of our members are very young, and that's more challenging. Yeah. Okay, so let's go through. Let's go through it. Yeah. Um, gluten mm-hmm. is a huge one. Grain brain. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so tell us about gluten and what it does to our mind. Right. And our so body. gluten, um, that gluten protein that's in uh, wheat, barley, and rye, mm-hmm. um, can have an effect on our GI system. Mm-hmm. And if you have any kind of compromised gastrointestinal system, which we know many people with Down syndrome do whether that's manifest through symptoms or just kind of bubbling under the surface Mm -hmm. that we don't know about but is actually happening. Um, And those proteins go right through what they've termed the leaky gut um, if your GI system's not in great working order. Uh, And what wheat does is wheat actually is, um, there's a chemical called zonulin, and that will open the barrier in your gut, and that's very individual specific. So if I eat wheat and my zonulin opens my gate for five minutes, then I can have any of those toxins pass through gastrointestinal system into my blood-brain barrier and right to my brain for that five minutes and then it'll close. Mm. Well, some people that zonulin, you know, affects, it opens those gates for an hour, three hours, three days. It can depend on the individual. But basically all of the toxins that are in your gastrointestinal system are basically allowed to pass through and you have a systemic issue where you're not absorbing the nutrients you need to absorb. You have toxic buildup in your system. A lot of people complain about brain fog um, because all of that junk is going right to your brain, um, especially when they're on a high-gluten diet. Wow. And then, then there's the secondary process of all of that happening actually compromises your immune system. And if your gastrointestinal system is compromised, what, what can often happen is an inflammatory response is triggered because your body knows this isn't right. Something It starts attacking itself. There's some antibodies in here that shouldn't be. I need to attack myself. You get this chronic inflammation because your body thinks you're sick. And that inflammation, chronic inflammation, is not good for our brain. Um, and they're attributing later Alzheimer's with you know, chronic inflammation. Wow. In My goodness. So... We, we're avoiding gluten. <laughs> and it's easier said than done, right? We're yeah, trying yeah. our best to avoid right, gluten, right. Uh, the, as much gluten as we can. And I will say there's some research showing, you know, ancient gluten isn't so problematic for some people in their systems. Um, where modern gluten, really wheat developed after 1950s or so that's mm. hybridized, that uh, we have quick rise flour now, and that can be more problematic. So um, for some folks who are eating ancient grains, like mm-hmm. an amaranth or corn or something, you know, mm-hmm. of that nature, mm-hmm. um, they might be able to tolerate, you know, so there is some emerging research about ancient gluten, <laughs> ancient <laughs> grain sure. gluten versus modern gluten, but most of what we eat every single day is this modern Sure, uh, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so we, so gluten, 
what's next sugar sugar so if you can keep gluten to a minimum or get rid of all together mm-hmm. um, the next thing you know would be sugar and I think I think going low carb low simple carb refined carbs is better anyway because what happens if you even if you get rid of sugar if you're a high carber <laughs> that those carbs turn into sugar sure so um, yeah I think it's both you need to do in tandem so low Uh, processed carbohydrates and low table sugar we know that our American diet is packed full of sugar and obviously none of us are sitting at home spoon feeding our children tablespoon after tablespoon of table sugar (laughs) but it is secretly in everything Mm -hmm. and I think really as informed consumers once I started researching about food I didn't realize how many products hide sugar Mm -hmm. Um, they call it different things any kind of Ose word, sucralose, uh, um, glucose, sacrose, yeah, mm-hmm, everything mm-hmm. Um, is disguised as sugar. Um, and once we take it out of our everyday, I mean, I know even for my own daughter, she'll have the occasional treat. She'll have, sure. uh, we might have a gluten-free s- something, um, or she loves her chocolate, you know, that monthly time. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we're not eating it all day, every sure. day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so we got gluten, we got sugar. What's next? Um, I would say for our younger members to really evaluate dairy. Okay. Um, because some of our members, a high percentage, might have some reactions to cow's milk. And there are so many alternatives out there. Um, and I know some people in the medical profession, you know, get up in arms about that. But really, we don't need to be drinking cow's milk. Mm-hmm. Um, we do need to be drinking something with enough fatty acids and vitamin A and vitamin D and calories and everything that milk has in it. Mm-hmm. But if we can find that in a different way that doesn't cause the maybe histamine reaction because cow's protein can cause a histamine reaction, which causes mucus production. And because our members have small sinuses and eustachian tubes, when you get that mucus buildup and there's no good drainage flow to mm-hmm, get rid of it, mm-hmm. It can cause sinus and ear infections. Um, the other thing that, that casein in the uh, cow's milk can do is cause some skin irritation, skin rashes. For our younger families, I'll often say they have the milk face. They'll get redness on their cheeks right after they drink milk. Mm-hmm. Um, they can cause It can cause constipation or diarrhea. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And I will see it more often than not. I, I will say after doing this 16 years and working with First Steps when those babies transition from formula onto a cow milk product, we usually have some kind of issue more mm-hmm. often than not, mm-hmm. which can be addressed by switching to another product and possibly supplementing with the things that that product may not have. May not have. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So gluten, I'm just going to keep doing it. Gluten, yeah. sugar, <laughs> dairy, yes. what else? Um, I think healthy fats. We leave out healthy fats, and our brain needs fat. Mm -hmm. After water, it's mostly fat. And we have demonized fat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We've even demonized cholesterol. But really, cholesterol is not the demon, right? It's when cholesterol gets glycated when it mixes with sugar. Mm. So I'm not saying go eat three pounds of bacon, but um, <laughs> but um, healthy fats and, and even healthy animal fats. So we want lots of avocado. We want coconut oil. We want um, some good protein sources, eggs, um, good meats. Leave the fat on mm-hmm. um, as long as they're a good source of meat, not GMO and uh, great. processed. Great. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so doing it again. Yes. Gluten. We're we're now we're adding things. So let so we're we're gonna try to avoid gluten, avoid sugar, avoid dairy. Mm-hmm. We want healthy fats. Yes. And what else? Well, one of the big supplements that I'll talk about, and I always before you do any supplement routine, you know, cross check with your healthcare provider. But probiotics. Mm-hmm. Probiotics, I think if I have to tell anybody any one thing would be a good quality probiotic because if you don't have good gut functioning, the rest is down the toilet, literally. Pardon the pun. <laughs> Pardon the pun. But really, if your gut is compromised and it's not, you're not going to heal it until you get good gut health. Um, 80% of the immune system starts in the gut. Our neurotransmitters for anxiety and depression manufactured in the gut. They're really calling our gut microbiome the second brain because we now know of that gut-brain connection. And we know historically that our members typically have some gut dysfunction issues mm-hmm. outside of the big things like mm-hmm. Hirschsprungs and celiac. Mm-hmm. You know, they can have some smaller things that might not manifest in this overt diarrhea constipation, but um, other issues bubbling underneath the surface yeah absolutely so probiotic um are there any other supplements you suggest well i do depending on the individual Mm -hmm. um it's hard to get all the healthy fats that we need every day through our food so Mm -hmm. many of our members will supplement with some omega-3 fatty acids that can be fish oil that can be mct oil which is a medium chain triglyceride similar to uh, coconut oil Mm -hmm. Uh, they will supplement with that depending on um what the individual's going through. I, I always recommend, you know, a good comprehensive multivitamin for our members because we do know that they have some nutritional deficiencies, sometimes digestive enzymes. If you know you can't control the diet, if the child's at daycare, school, um, our big thing was potluck suppers at church. My daughter <laughs> was sneaking things. So, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. we had her in ide- a digestive enzyme for those breaches in her diet, but those may be beneficial all the time, depending on what your healthcare provider tells you. Absolutely. Um, before I ask about your personal experience with the diet, is there anything else that you think should be mentioned as far as like things to avoid, things to add to your diet? Well, I think if you're avoiding just anything processed, you're trying to eat as clean. My big thing is clean eating. So eat as true to the source of the animal or plant as you can. Mm-hmm. Um Go organic, non-GMO, if at all possible, because we know some of the toxins that are in those pesticides um, that are in the antibiotics and the animals, that those can cause some other issues. Uh, avoid non-GMO um, or GMO soy. <laughs> mm. So because soy, uh, unfortunately, we know the connection with uh, genetically modified plants and glyphosate, which is connected to some uh, pesticides. And that causes toxic buildup, and so trying to avoid that if possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so tell us about your – we know that, like, you have come up with this amazing list that we've been talking about over years and years and yeah, years. Yeah. So how has it affected your daughter and you? I mean, mm-hmm. you are on this diet as well, correct? Right. So funny story about that. You uh-huh. know, Tabitha's been on the diet since she was about eight or nine years old, and uh, – Yeah, we had our own journeys, and I love to talk to families about how to get through those hurdles about introducing the diet, Mm -hmm. because that can be a whole other thing. Mm -hmm. But um, we realized after reading David Perlmutter's book that 
Tabitha might not have Alzheimer's someday, but she wouldn't know, or we wouldn't know who the heck she was. <laughs> yes, we, they're all the You're rest gonna of have us. Would have, yeah. Um, and, and over the course of parenting, Tabitha has three younger siblings, and I've know I've used some of these dietary interventions with all of them. My uh, her younger sister, who is four years younger, has some lactose sensitivity and breaks out and gets nauseated when she drinks. Uh, milk and cheese and ice cream so Mm -hmm. we know our family probably has a sensitivity Mm -hmm. my now 12 year old at age three developed a tick disorder he was craving milk drinking lots of milk I pulled him off milk the ticks went away it was like a vocal wow and motor tick that was getting worse so I thought maybe I'm just crazy put him back on cow's milk it came back wow so he went off immediately and then of course the baby who's now seven has never you know we don't do (laughs) cow's milk at home Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but yeah it's our our whole family has adopted a lower uh, gluten lifestyle where Tabby is more gluten free okay. uh, than any of the rest of us. Um, so, <clears throat> so over the years, I mean, how have you noticed a difference in her? Yeah. Well, I know she, she's been on it for years, but like right. back then, yeah. Yeah, and one thing I will say is the sooner you intervene, the the more changes I do see in some of the members that I collaborate with, um, their families, and so I wish we had started earlier she had some major major changes when we started at eight or nine Mm -hmm. but if we had started at two or three I think this changes would be a little more profound oh wow okay Um, but one thing I encourage families to do is as you introduce things and I do say to do this um, as more of an evolution so don't go cold turkey (laughs) because literally your body will be detoxing Mm -hmm. from all of Mm -hmm. this Um, our family went cold turkey from processed food over the weekend and I had such a headache just taking the chemicals (laughs) out of my body for one weekend Uh Um, and usually I get a phone call at 10 o'clock at night from a family whose child I hear them wail in the background like no don't cold turkey it let's just replace one thing at a time so but but I would encourage families to keep a journal Mm -hmm. so as they add you know one thing or take away one thing in their diet document all of those changes Mm -hmm. because sometimes we miss the subtle things day to day yeah but um if you can go back and look and say oh it was within a week of taking this supplement we started doing this or Mm -hmm. stop doing that Mm mm-hmm Absolutely. It can be really helpful. Absolutely. So, so yeah. So, so if someone, if they start to do this evolution, yes. this food evolution, yeah. um, what types of things are they going to see? Well, some of the changes that families report right away are just a decrease in um, a sense. They usually describe it as my child just doesn't feel comfortable in their own skin. They're like agitated, antsy. Um, irritable every little thing sets them off they can't get comfortable Um, we noticed an immediate well I won't say immediate but within (laughs) several um, days and over the course of three weeks that her tantrums had decreased significantly wow Um, she was just more easygoing she started following directions a little bit better so if I usually had to repeat things and start with a direction and then give a verbal or a physical prompt and then pretty much help her do it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so now I could give her direction and she would do it wow (laughs) Uh, so that was huge Um, she became less agitated when we went out in public Hmm. Um, she didn't fight normal daily routines. I didn't have to prep her so much for every subtle change in the day. Um, that was much better just doing gluten. So was Tabitha a pretty good eater to begin with? She was. She went through her phase where she would pick out the vegetables, you know, mm-hmm. that I tried to sneak in food and <laughs> sure. spit them out. But um, overall, she didn't have a lot of the oral 
uh, or texture defensiveness Mm -hmm. that many of our children can have. Mm -hmm. Um, She still doesn't like to chew her food, uh, which, you know, we try to address early on too, just building jaw strength and stability to help chew, which Mm -hmm. um, decreases some risk of choking and gets children at least um, tolerating certain crunchy and chewy foods. Absolutely. so on that same note, like what are what should a family do if their if their child has oral aversion or doesn't like to chew or doesn't like crunchy or Yeah, so I think for our kids it can be twofold. It can be a sensory issue, mm-hmm. so just having slimy or crunchy or sticky whatever their individual um aversion is in their mouth and so doing some systematic desensitization uh, working with an OT or using um, some sensory you know protocols to kind of decrease that over time is good if it's just I don't want to chew because my low muscle tone and my jaw strength isn't there and so I'm just gonna do a couple chews and gulp Uh Uh, you know so building that jaw strength there's some exercises you can do biting on some bite activated toys Uh, really building that up, working that tongue so they're putting the food in the right position, making sure they're not pushing the food to their um, palate and pushing it out of their mouth, pulling Mm -hmm. pulling the food back. Mm -hmm. So, um, so as far as the, the diet is concerned Mm -hmm. for those, these families that are, that are, um, having some of these obstacles, um, do you suggest like smoothies? Like I do. I okay. love smoothies. Okay. I'm glad you brought that uh-huh. one up because you can sneak so much in a smoothie and it still tastes great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I, that's what I like. Yeah, I and I think the cold, you know, many of our members like the cold mm-hmm. um, and the texture is much more palatable, pardon the pun, <laughs> um, and you can hide a lot in. So you can put some supplements. I um, Our smoothies, we put in coconut oil or MCT oil. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. That's very good. Okay, so what does a – like – either for you or for Tabitha, mm-hmm. what does her diet look like for one day? Can you tell me like what a day would be like for yeah, her? Yeah, so for breakfast, I make frittatas ahead of time. I, I will say that we've had to prepare a lot of foods ahead of time. The freezer's our friend mm-hmm. um, and pull things out. Um, so she'll have a frittata for lunch, which is just egg and sausage, um, some some onion, and she loves salsa. And um, for lunch, she usually does like a, a meat patty or a um, skinless or grilled uh, chicken at school. She's on a gluten, casein-free diet at school. She eats a lot of vegetables. Thankfully, mm-hmm. she loves her vegetables mm-hmm. uh, and fruits. But she loves animal protein, too. She loves beef sticks. She loves raisins. We do some um, fruit bars that do have a high natural sugar count. It's you know, sweetened by dates or blueberries. Mm-hmm. But there's no... Um, you know, processed sugar in there. So, and for dinner, um, she might have some gluten-free pasta or we'll do some rice. Um, again, lots of, she likes salad, but we started salads really early. Yeah. Um, yeah. I heard, I, I think I recently read, um, some like parent hacks on yeah. how you can get your kids. And one person said that their their dad used to, um, when they were punished, their dad would be like, no salad. <laughs> and so then like totally, yeah. then now as an adult, they're like love salad yeah. because they can yeah. eat salad whenever they yeah. want. I was like, that's Those so hilarious. Yeah. No salad for you. Yeah. Um, super smart. Um, so some of my questions here from parents uh, are, what do you eat for breakfast? And you just told us. Yeah. Um, um, someone had a question about pea protein. Yes. I have never heard of pea protein. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, my um, it's funny you should bring that up because my 
second daughter, who does not have Down syndrome, did a lot of smoothies for a while because mm-hmm. they were easy. And that, and one thing we started to notice is with whey or caseinate protein powder that would go in the smoothie because she could have a smoothie and she wanted something to sustain her for the rest of the day at okay. school. Uh-huh. So we did a high, we did protein powder, but a dairy-based protein powder was upsetting her stomach so some folks are going to like a vegetable based protein powder okay um, and there is pea protein powder Um, and I had not heard that so I just did a little uh, research about that Um, and the one thing I think it might be pertaining to is that um, when I wrote this down here that pea protein um, is higher in purines and purines convert to uric acid and so that can be contraindicated in people who have any kind of kidney dysfunction because oh. it can't uh, get rid of the uric acid. So essentially, if someone is interested in adding pea protein, then they might want to just talk to their physician exactly. and see if yeah, it's, yeah. And, it's cool. And we've, now, if, she, if we started the dietary interventions when she was younger, we probably would have needed to supplement in our smoothies with mm-hmm. more protein. Mm-hmm. But we started them a little bit later. And so she gets a lot of animal protein. Uh, so we don't supplement with protein for her because she Great. gets it naturally. Great. Did I, did we did we miss anything? Is there anything else that you like well, to talk about when you present about this yeah, that we want to cover? One more thing I wanted to mention. You know, another supplement we use. We we do a variety of things. You know, we do calcium because she's casein free, and we supplement with vitamin D because we know that's a deficiency. We supplement with CoQ10 because that's a great beta amyloid plaque preventer. Um, and we can talk more when we talk you know about Alzheimer's and how our Members are more at risk because of that beta amyloid uh, protein. Um, but we also do glutathione, and I really recommend that children with autism and Down syndrome are deficient in glutathione, but I really see an, a vast improvement with our members who are possibly on the spectrum that start glutathione because it's such a great anti-inflammatory. It's great for your immune system. It's like a master detoxifying agent. And we noticed improvements within 24 hours wow. when Tabitha went on glutathione. Um, improvements on, in what way? Well, her social skills. I mean, previously she'd been one to, when she woke up in the morning on the weekend, she'd want to stay in her room. We were the ones that had to go up there and get her out, pull her out to be social, mm-hmm. get her day going. Mm-hmm. The day after we started, she came down to our room, threw the door open, and said, Hi, Daddy. <gasps> no and first way. Of all, she'd never... That just gave me goosebumps. Initiated that <laughs> social contact. Yeah. But also just to even the vocalization that she'd not done, you know, before. So wow. I see, um, and we, we have a lot of testimonials of that. Children are much more social and communicative um, with some glutathione. And I think it's because it helps reduce some of that inflammation when your body's under that stress mm-hmm. because of your diet. Um, it kind of puts out the fire. And when you're not in internal discomfort, you tend to be a little more social and communicative sure, yeah. and, and can help with a lot of that. That's called glutathione. Glutathione. And can yeah. you find that anywhere? And it is, it's different from gluten. Some some people yeah, confuse yeah. glutathione with gluten. Sure. Um, you can find it, I, I would say, find a really good source from a reputable company that you trust. Um, sometimes you might have to go to a healthcare provider mm-hmm. or someone who's familiar with integrative medicine or functional medicine, you can order it online, but I encourage families to really get some guidance mm-hmm. from uh, someone who has a background in pharmacy or healthcare. Okay. Um, well, and also you're here. And so they could reach out to yeah. you and talk to you. <laughs> um, not, you, I know you can't get them. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. they could talk to you about their child sure. and blah, blah. Talk about the um, benefits. That's, yeah, the, that's yeah. one of the amazing things about 
Down syndrome of Louisville is that you're here and yeah. you're here to um, to guide them and, and help them with these things. Um, so we're going to take a little break. Yeah. And then we're going to talk to Zach Cowley, who is one of our adults who is on the Down syndrome diet. And we're going to talk to him about his experience. So we'll be back. This has been the Kindness Warrior Podcast, a Down Syndrome of Louisville production. To learn more about Down Syndrome of Louisville, visit our website, downsyndromeoflouisville.org. If you have questions for us, email kindnesswarriorpod at dsoflou.org. It's also in the show notes. Music was written and produced by Alex Stotts and Owen Eiler. This episode was produced and edited by Ethan Holstein and me, Martin Lindsay. Your host was Carly Riggs. Thanks for listening to the Kindness Warrior Podcast here at Down Syndrome of Louisville. We are serving locally and sharing globally.